Well, I hope that by now as we've walked through this and, and kind of looked at, at the whole idea of following Jesus for who he really is, connecting with others, and recognizing the strength that we glean from him as we connect with others, as we discover our gifts, the gifts that he has blessed us with. And today we're going to be talking about how he has gifted us to serve. He has gifted us to serve. Now we've been kind of follow, uh, been following a uh, common theme that occurs this time of the year in our culture, and that is the theme of college football. And we looked at how uh, Jesus is the ultimate coach, and we, we looked at how in following him, we have to follow the ultimate playbook, all right, the word of God. And then we, we, we talked about how we have to discover where we fit in the team. Because his team, his church, is the ultimate team. That's his plan for reaching this world with the knowledge of his grace. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how that grace can reach out and minister to the lives of many if we're willing to be his hands and his feet. So we're going to dive back into the game plan. And today I want you to specifically think of these words as we walk through I want you to think about how Jesus wants each one of us to live an impactful life, an impact life, and that we are gifted to serve accordingly. We exist, we believe this wholeheartedly, we exist to inspire people to take next steps toward Jesus. That's what next is all about. All right, when you think of next church, it's not, hey, we want to be your next church has nothing to do with that. All right, what it has to do with is that we believe God has called us to glorify and honor him, to worship him in everything that we do, and to inspire others to take whatever that next step is, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord. No matter how long that walk may have been, no matter you know, how difficult the journey or how easy the journey has been or anything else, we are all taking next steps him. When we stop taking those next steps, then we're no longer following him. All right, it's that simple. And, and that's, not, that's not a statement of grace, all right? That's just a statement of reality. That when we stop taking those next steps toward him, even if we feel like we're plateaued, and you know, you, you know what our family has gone through recently, and, and there have been times during this whole process where it's been difficult to take a next step. And, and sometimes you just feel like, man, I, I've, I've just been sitting right here in the same spot spiritually for weeks, and I don't feel like I've taken any next steps. But do you know that every time you bow your head and ask Jesus to show you his power, his wisdom, to give you leadership that day, something that simple, you are taking next steps toward him. Sometimes those steps seem exponential. Sometimes it seems like we run up the steps a little bit faster than other times. Sometimes it seems like we are either taking a step backwards or whatever it may be. But he is always calling us to take next steps toward him. Now here's the good news about servanthood. All right, whenever we start talking about serving, uh, it's sort of like preachers talking about money or something like that. Everybody says, oh, here we go again. I'm going to be made to feel guilty about how little I do for the church or whatever. Put all that aside, all right? All those fears aside, that's not what this is about, okay? What we are determined to do, what I am determined to do as your pastor, 
is to help you discover what the strengths are that Jesus has given you so that you can follow his model in doing what he has called you to do. That's it, simply. All right, it's not, it's not a comparison game where, oh, well, you know, so-and-so serves like crazy. I mean, they're, they're at the church or they're doing something every time the doors open. And in fact, they're out in the community all the time doing something as well. Well, don't look at what that person is doing. Just ask the Lord what the next step is he has for you. Lord, here's all the strength that I feel like I have right now. Please give me strength to go on. And you know what? He is faithful and he will do it. He knows where you are better than you know where you are. Remember the overriding theme that, that you'll hear me mention all the time, ad nauseum. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay not okay. Because as soon as we are determined that we're just going to stay not okay, no matter how uncomfortable I may feel about moving forward, no matter how absolutely impossible I feel that it may be, as soon as I am determined that I'm going to stay not okay, then I have stepped out of his will. Because very simply, he said, walk in the light as I am in the light. He didn't say, take all the light that I have shed and put it in your life and become perfect. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to shine the light here and there every day. And wherever that light penetrates your life and your heart, all I'm asking is that you trust me enough, he says, trust me enough to just follow me in that light for that day. That's the next steps that we take daily in following Jesus Christ. Now here's the, here's the other good news about serving. Jesus served. He's God. He came down to this earth as all God and all man and yet he came as a servant leader. Now when I think about uh, college football or pro football or any pro sport for that matter, I, I can't help but think about the leaders of different teams. Now, when I think about guys like Leo DeRocha, a, a major league manager for, for well, several decades back, but Leo DeRocha is one of the most quoted guys in major league baseball even yet today. And one of the things that Leo DeRocha is known for saying, his motto of leadership was this, nice guys finish last. And so Leo DeRocha was not worried about being seen as a nice guy. In fact, he was known as being quite the opposite when it came to his managerial and his leadership skills. Al Davis, the owner of the Oakland Raiders of NFL fame. Al Davis always said, just win, baby. And he built a culture around him that said, I don't care how we win, whether it's cheat or hurt somebody, whatever it is, we're going to just win, baby. I don't care who I have to fire. I don't care about any of this. I am not here to serve you. I'm here to build a winner. That's it, period. And then there are some of those um, leaders in sports that we have seen, and particularly in the NFL or in college football, who really serve others. I think of a guy by the name of Mark Rick, really one of my heroes. I didn't like Georgia when he was coaching there. I still don't like Georgia. 
All right, it's hard to like Georgia when you lived in Bama, as long as I did. Okay, just, just don't like Georgia. But Mark Rick, I have an incredible amount of respect for that man. He got fired after winning over 150 games in his tenure at Georgia and losing less than 50. Got fired, all right? 72 hours after he was fired from Georgia, the University of Miami, where he played his college ball as a quarterback, called him and said, would you come here? Now, please, I hope there's no Miami fans here and, and you're, you're going to be incredibly distressed by what I have to say, but Miami doesn't especially have a great reputation for being a culture of servant leaders, okay? Now, there are some servant leaders there. Don't misunderstand me. There are a lot of servant leaders at the University of Miami but they just don't have that reputation with their football program. And so the world literally has watched with interest as Mark Rick has gone to the University of Miami to say, okay, how is that culture gonna change Mark? Do you know what? Mark has gone in to change that culture. That culture has not changed him a bit. Mark went in and one of the first things that he did was give every one of his players a free Bible. And boy, you talk about raising some eyebrows. And wait a minute, hold it, hold it. What about separation of church and state? I mean, how much trouble is that going to get you in? You know what? Mark didn't care. You can fire me tomorrow, whatever. I believe that there are principles in the Word of God that will help a young man grow and live his life the way that he should live his life. Whether he ever accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior or not, there are great principles in the Word of God. Well, Mark led uh, the team to a surprising 4-0 uh, record. I don't know what they did against, uh, uh, against uh, Florida State yesterday. They lost to Florida State, so they're 4-1, okay? But more importantly than that, Mark is already having an impact on young men's lives. And if you watch any of the games, I've only seen one of them this year, but even in watching it, it looked like there was just a whole different culture surrounding the University of Miami football team. All right, Mark went in there and he is a servant leader. I want you to watch this little video. Bart Starr, who is uh, kind of a, a hero to a lot of people in the state of Alabama, lives in Birmingham with his family and, and Bart Starr played for, uh, had a couple of really tough years with Green Bay when he left the University of, of Alabama. And uh, he played, went on and played for um, Vince Lombardi and he called his wife, uh, this, this, is, this is Bart Starr years later, but Bart called his wife after the first meeting that the team had with Vince Lombardi, and he is recounting that brief story. Now, you were here when Coach Lombardi came. Now, what Correct. Was, was that a seismic change when he came in here? Everybody knows what he became, but when he first started out, was he the Lombardi that everyone remembers? Yes, he was, because I'll always remember our first meeting with him. It was dynamite. And uh, I called my wife, Cherry, and I said, Honey, we're going to begin to win. That's all <laughs> I said to her. Honey, we're going to begin to win. What was it about him when you first met him and throughout his coaching as he got this group of men together? What was it that really set him apart from almost every other coach that has coached this football? extremely well organized. In his very first meeting, you could see how well prepared he was. And then how he approached what he was teaching at that session that day. 
you could you could sense an outstanding teacher and uh, builder that he was, and that's exactly what we were. He just brought us right up quickly. The point is that there was a difference in what this man stood for. And part of the difference was that he was a servant leader. He demanded a lot from his players, but they knew that they were going to get more out of him than what he demanded out of them. You see, when, when Jesus came onto the scene and when the disciples made the determination that they were going to follow him no matter what, they had already seen that Jesus was totally different. He was a different kind of leader, and not just that, he was a different kind of man. He lived up to what he promised, and he even delivered more than he promised, and they saw that with their own eyes. One time, Jesus was sitting with his disciples, and, and this was actually right before his death when, when they had what we call the Last Supper, the last time that they were together and, and celebrating a feast together, and Jesus knelt down and began to wash the disciples' feet, serve them, unheard of at that time. And especially in a culture where, you know, the Roman government was teaching and building a culture where leaders, and then there were servants, and leaders were on top of everything and everybody. And anyone under those leaders served like crazy. And the leaders, they could be bigotous, they could be anything they wanted to be, and you still had to respect their authority. Jesus came in and he said, all authority is given to me. He's God. He's all God. But he said, all authority is given to me by the Father. I am here to do my Father's will. Okay? Now, teaching on the Trinity and things like that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's going to be for another time. All right? But as we have seen all the way through this series, that is an important part of who we are and what we believe. And Jesus humbled himself to serve even though he came down as all God and all man. And when he, when he knelt down before the disciples that evening and, and started to wash their feet, Peter said, no, you're not going to do that. You are the master. And Jesus' response, not just directly to Peter, he, he responded to Peter as well and had a little talk with him, but his response to the whole group was this. He said, you have called me master, and that's who I am. But I have also served you. Now go and serve one another. Jesus said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Our CEOs and executives in our culture, most of them say, spend fortunes trying to develop a wardrobe of power ties, going to power lunches, and power broking. After all, power and control are what it's all about in our culture. Jesus said, I came to build a culture that serves. My power is not of this world, Jesus said, it comes from above. You see, we believe in this world that leaders should have special parking places, the best seats at the banquet, the finest service at restaurants. And after all, don't they deserve the best severance packages? Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to ask the question this morning as we move along, why should we serve? 
Why serve? I mean, we hear this word serve being thrown around a lot, especially in church situations. What's so important about serving? Let me just give you four things real quick. First is because of grace. All right, Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. All right, we live in an age where, where the line between what is right and what is wrong is growing grayer and grayer all the time. All right, now there's many reasons for that, and we as his church worldwide are a little bit to blame for that because many of us have overlooked our own sins and we have put in the spotlight sins of others and what happens in the process of doing that is that we have grayed our own sins and then others who, who, who look and hear us preach that message that we say is grace but it really lacks grace, then they begin to gray their side of the line and pretty soon we just have this incredibly gray line that says we're going to accept anything or we are going to accept nothing and we're going to move way over here to the far right and all we have is this gray line, this mess that we have created. Jesus said there is definite right and wrong, but Jesus also said, I came to extend grace, but in the process of extending grace, he made it very clear that we grow in grace. Grace is not something to sit on and bask in. Grace is something to pass along and to grow in. You see that light that we talked about earlier, walk in the light as he is in the light, when he shines that light in my life through his word and tells me what I should be doing, what is right, what is wrong, then I have the responsibility and I say either yes or no. And when I say no and continually say no, then I walk out of fellowship with him and I have no right to wonder why I don't feel close to him. Okay? When I say yes then, you know, it's not necessarily an instantaneous thing where, oh, wow, we're in, we're in this great fellowship and I am walking perfectly on the right side of the line. No. It can be a very arduous road. Sometimes it requires making decisions every minute or at least daily to stay on that right path with him. That's called holiness, folks. Holiness is not way over here to the right. Holiness is walking in obedience no matter where we are on that path. And that's what Jesus came to show us. He says, you have, you have the right, the privilege, the beauty, because of grace and growing in grace, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And remember, the reason he gives us that privilege and the reason that there is a difference between righteousness and, and ungodliness is because he wants to provide for us and protect us. He wants to provide for us in relationships that are his way. He wants to provide for us in, in jobs that are done his way. He wants to provide for us in leadership opportunities that are done his way. He wants to provide for us in a perfect way, not in a perfect world, but he wants to provide for us a way that will lead us more and more toward him taking steps toward him and where I fall into a lack of trust is when I say boy that's just too difficult or Lord that just doesn't feel right 
And you've heard me teach before on not trusting the heart of man. All right, we live in a world that says, oh, just trust your heart. You know, if you feel like that's the right thing to do, then it must be the right thing to do. And the Bible is very clear and tells us, do not trust the heart of man. Above all else, the heart of man is deceptive. And so when I say, you know what, Lord, this is what feels good, so that must be the way you're leading me, I'm deceiving myself. And I have this privilege to follow God's word. I don't serve with pride for what God does through me. All right, that's where we have to really watch out. Rather out of humility and gratitude for what God has done in us. That's grace. That's grace. He said we serve in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Secondly, because we have gifts. Why, sir? Because we have gifts. And we talked about this last week. So let me just read a little bit of Romans chapter 12 for you. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Jesus Christ, though we are many, from one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. And by the way, the term that's used there is not the term, that scary term for prophesy, which says foretell, foretell the future. It's foretelling the grace of Jesus Christ. All right, so that needs to be really well understood there. He said, if it's prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. You ever met somebody who has the gift of encouragement? I love hanging out with those people. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. That is the impact life. People who have a desire to discover what it is that God wants them to do, who God wants them to be, and then they recognize that they are gifted to serve. Serving is so much more than just a job. Tom gave you some examples this morning of, of people serving here at Next Church. And the reason they do that is not because they just see it as a job to get things done and to have a functional Sunday morning service. That's not the reason that we do this. There is a specific purpose where we all feel like that we are on this team together. Gil, if you could go back to the very second slide. Let me just show you real quickly, uh, since we're talking a little bit about football, let me just show you the importance of being a servant. All right, if any of you watched games yesterday, you probably were very keyed in to the guys who were either throwing the ball, catching the ball, kicking the ball, or whatever. What we often overlook is these guys that open up the holes so that the running back can run through. Their job is just as important. All right, when you stop and think about the people who set up this room last night so that we could sit here in somewhat of comfort, I mean, as comfortable as you can be in a gymnasium and still feel like you're in a worshipful area, but they set this up. There are people back there working in a nursery, and do you know that one of the most difficult places in all churches to find people that will serve is in the nursery? You know that? And, and I don't know what the reason for that is because... 
you know, I love, I love babies. I think babies are easier to take care of than adults, all right, to be honest with you. Babies are great, all right, but oftentimes we will say, I've raised my kids, I've done that, I'm done with it. And that's because we see it as a job oftentimes. When we see it for what it really is, allowing parents to be able to sit and listen to the Word of God. Ministering to babies and showing them love. Now, I'm not insinuating that if you have a fear of diapers and it makes you gag to change a diaper or anything, I'm not insinuating that you should just immediately get over that fear and go and serve in the nursery. All I'm telling you is there's a difference between making service a job and seeing it as something that has a greater importance. Paving the way for somebody else to be able to win at that moment in time. If they don't do their job, there is no team. There is no team. All they do is get crushed. All right? Serving is much more than a job. The third answer to that question is because it is a path to growth. All right? Jesus replied, Matthew 14, 30, uh, verses 13 through 20. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. All right, this may be a familiar passage to you. The surrounding theme of this, pas uh, this passage is that Jesus was on the side of a mountain and there were a lot of hungry people. And everybody was kind of grumbling. And the disciples said, all right, send them to the nearest village. Well, there wasn't a nearest village. He said, send them to the nearest village and let them find something to eat. And Jesus said, don't send them away. You feed them. Now, that's impossible. I mean, there's 5,000 people here, Lord. In fact, there's more than five. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. And we don't have anything to feed them with. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do things or prompts us to do things that seem totally impossible. In fact, even preposterous. And what he's telling us is, I'll be with you every step of the way. Watch what I can do. I know you can't do this. A little over three years ago now, when we set out to start a church, I mean, good grief, 52 years of age, I've never planted a church What do you think was going through my mind? Lord, this can't be right. This does not feel right. And I continually said no. And finally, I got to the point where I said, okay, Lord, I'll pray about this. Let me confess to you all. I still am probably doing things wrong. But he is covering me, and he is covering us with his grace. And you want to know why? It's because we've got a lot of folks, a team, that are just interested in taking next steps toward him. And I want to tell you something. I believe that's a winning team. And I know that if he calls us there, he's going to give us the grace to see it through. I'm glad you're on this journey with me. Jesus said, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. And then he said, bring them here to me. Let me just throw in this shameless advertisement. I believe with the team that we have here, and I'm not, this is excluding the pastor, all right, but you, the people, you far outshine 
your pastor, okay? Because you're the team. I get to be kind of helping out the coach, all right? I get to be the guy standing on the sidelines kind of, kind of holding the book for the coach and every once in a while holding it up and calling the plays and doing stuff like that. But Coach Jesus is in charge here. And the way that you are shining is going to have ripple effects. No matter where next church goes, no matter what happens, you, your lives, are going to have rippling effects that will go far beyond anything that we have ever called next church. And here's the two questions I want to ask you. How did you get where you are? Did somebody lead you here? Did somebody ask you? Did somebody invite you? And the second question I want to ask is who is going to go even further than you have gone because you are willing to extend an invitation to them? Think about that. It's embarrassing in this world to extend an invitation to somebody and they say no or they say, well, yeah, who knows, maybe sometime. Don't let that deter you. All we are asked to do is to show the love of Jesus and extend an invitation. That's the impact of life. That is how we are gifted to serve. And finally, the fourth answer to that question, why serve, is because it is the hope of the gospel. Pure and simple. We are gifted to serve because it is the hope of the gospel. Now, when I say we're gifted to serve, I'm not talking about, and, and Tom mentioned this this morning, uh, and it's a powerful thing to be reminded of, we're not just talking about things internally at Next Church. I'm talking about how you can serve others in your community, in your neighborhood, how we can be involved with missions around the world, whatever it may be, wherever God calls you to. You don't need to feel guilty if God is calling you to do something that is not a part of the church, or as we know it, the church. It is a part of the big C church around the world or in the community. We are the church, and he wants us to be unleashed there. But we are the hope of the gospel. Listen to this, Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody teaching them or preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news because Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, Paul says, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the Word of God. A lot of what you saw in that serving video leads up to one thing, folks, and that is giving people the opportunity to hear the Word of God. Running a blocking pattern, whatever it may be, so that the Word of God can come through and literally score touchdowns in people's lives. That's what we're here to do. That's what I'm here to do. That's what you're here to do. Go into all the world and teach the gospel, preach the gospel to every creature, Mark wrote. 
rather than just praying that God would send revival, now that's important, don't ever stop praying that God will send revival, but realize that God planted you in this city, in this place, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, wherever it is, he sent you there, become then the revival that you've been praying for. Become that impetus for revival. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age, Matthew said in chapter 28. If you go to a football game, you may or you may not notice, think about this. Probably you have to be a little bit warped to think about this in these terms. But if you go to a football game, you can see that um, the football stadium is a lot like a church. Not next church, okay? And, and the reason that I'm even taking the time to share this with you is because I don't want us to be equated to this in any way, shape, or form. I don't want my life there. I don't want your life there. I want us to be different, okay? But most churches that you go to, statistics show this. It's just like a football stadium where you have 22 guys or gals, whatever the case may be. Now there, there are actually a few young ladies who are playing high school and some trying to break into college football, all right? But there are 22 people on the field who badly need a break. Some of them are getting that break because they have worked so hard they're getting injured. And up in the stands, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 100,000 people who are in horrible need of exercise and action. Do you know that in the average church in the United States of America today, 8% of all who come on a Sunday morning, 8% are actually active in serving in any way. Not just within the church, but serving in any way. Really serving in the name of Jesus. I'm happy to report to you that it's way beyond that at Next Church. And I hope that as we grow, we will continue to be known as servants. Not only in the church, but in the community. There was a lawyer by the name of Aristides. And Aristides was a lawyer way back in, in the early Roman times. And this Ro Roman lawyer who was not necessarily defending Christianity, but he stood before Her uh, Heredian, who was the, uh, the emperor of Rome at the time. He stood before Heredian and he stood before the Senate. And he was talking about why they shouldn't be persecuting Christians the way that they are. He said, this is bad PR. In fact, we're seeing a lot of Rome begin to crumble, and, and there's a lot of grumbling that's going on because you are treating Christians so badly. And so I would implore you to be careful or you are going to implode as a nation. And of course, they just laughed at him because Rome was so great, so incredible at the time, spreading all over the world. But Aristides stood there and he said, here's what I want you to consider. He said, Christians are making a huge, huge hubbaloo in the whole empire. He said, Christians love one another. These are his words. They love one another. They never fail to help widows. 
they save orphans from those who would hurt them. If a man has something, he gives freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, Christians take him home, and they are happy as though he was a real brother to them. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but instead they say they are brothers through a spirit of God. And if they hear that one of them is in jail or persecuted or professing the name of, our redeem, of their Redeemer, they will give him and his family what he needs. And if at all possible, they will bail him out. If one of them is poor and there isn't enough food to go around, they fast several days and they will give food to the one who is in need. He turned to the Senate and he said, brothers of the Senate, I want you to understand, this is a really different kind of people. There is something about them that really seems divine. The words of Aristides, a lawyer in the Roman Empire. The world looks upon his church, us. They know whether it looks divine or not. We have incredible opportunity to serve and love each other. We have incredible opportunity to build one another up. I want to say thank you for the way that you are serving in the kingdom. And I want to encourage you, even as I implore myself, let's pray for even greater strength and wisdom to serve the Lord and serve each other as we move forward. Let's look for ways to have an impact life for His glory, not for our own. Not so that stories get put in the paper or whatever. You know, I, I have this strong, strong feeling that if we just do what God has called us to do, if we will serve each other, most of all serve Him, He's going to add whatever increase whatever greater influence he wants us to have as a church. Let's be faithful as a different kind of church. I want to encourage you to take seriously what Tom shared with you earlier. Take a look at that card. Some of you may have filled it out today, and, and please drop it off. We're going to have a couple guys back there, ushers who have the blue buckets, you know, those really fancy things that that churches use for, uh, for collecting. Uh, he's got one of those fancy blue buckets back there. Just walk by and drop it in. If you feel like you need time to really search out wisdom from the Lord, then, then take that time, okay? Pray about it. Let God lead us together. The enemy's going to fight. The enemy's going to come at us. If you think about it in football terms, every down, the enemy is going to come hard. He's going to blitz. He's going to have cover too. Whatever the case may be, he's smart enough to call the right plays. We serve a coach who's far more brilliant, far more serving, far more loving. Let's open the holes. Let's get in there and do whatever it takes to block 
the enemy. And let's open the holes so that whoever the ball is handed to can run through there, score a touchdown, gain some yards, whatever it may be. Every play doesn't lead to a touchdown, but we sure want every play to bring us positive yards. That's what God has called us to. That's who I believe you are. 